Warning, the following podcast contains naughty words and opinions. While neither of these has been shown to be hazardous, you should be aware that exposure to both has been known to cause chafing. Apply only to available ear-shaped head holes. Cease insertion if resistance is met. Welcome to CinemaSlop, the weekly podcast that seeks the answers to the important questions like why doesn't DC's live-action film division take their thumb out of Zack Snyder's bunghole long enough to realize that the animated division maybe has something going on? Do you think Steve snuck a peek at those Amazonian mountains? Our content is prepared and served to you by myself, John, a man. So this week's Amazonians doubt my suitability to judge their society, and the gods won't bother to acknowledge my puny human concerns. And Jason, a man who forgot things that happened in the 2000s and is now harshly reminded of them. Every week, we carefully select our content through a process called backward baconing. At the end of each episode, we select a movie by our favorite actor and proceed one step further away from the bacon into their filmography. This comic book movie is colored in bacon vision. In the tradition of the Twelve Gods, we season this content with our own secret blend of comedy commentary and a liberal application of hedonistic, drunken, semi-nude wrestling. John, I'm pretty sure I overseasoned this one. I started to add the salt, then everything just went blank. I have no idea how many spoilers or expletives were added. I guess you can expect many. I believe the table is set, so that leaves one last order of business. Jason, are you ready? Yep, let's serve up some cinema slop. Last week, we joined a legend in progress when we saw what happens when a candy man gets loose in your neighborhood. Virginia Madsen happens, that's what. Naturally, we followed our continuing adventures this week as Queen Hippolyta, who leads a band of Amazonians in a fight against the beast creatures of Ares the Asshole. She naturally beats them all silly and puts that dick bag in shackles where he can't hurt anyone. That is, until enough time has passed and other things have happened, and then he can. Ha ha! Jason. Holy shit, we made it. We slopped through a movie made in the 2000s. Why do you hate the 2000s too much? There's some truly great films that were made in that decade, albeit very few. Well, the late 90s gave way to big budgets and more computer graphics, and the 2000s said, yes please, I'll have what they're having, but can you go light on this story? I sometimes forget how much of a judgmental fuck you can be. You know, it could be worse. We could have watched a superhero movie. That's enough of you being a dick. Get into the movie. All right. This week on CinemaSlop, we were drawn to watch Wonder Woman, a DC animated direct-to-DVD movie from 2009. Seriously? A pun? I hate you. As penance, you must now pronounce all of these Greek fucking names. God damn it, John. That was wrapped up in a nice, neat little package. Thank you so much for doing that without any bitching at all. So as you mentioned in the synopsis here, we came to this movie via Virginia Madsen, who played a voice. Yay. Uh, she plays Hippolyta, the, the queen of the Amazonians, kind of an important character, I guess. But new people, who you may not know. You got Carrie Russell. She plays Wonder Woman. Also known as Diana. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to go that far, but she wasn't even labeled that way in the fucking uh, creds. So she's not Diana, Prince of Themyscira, or Princess of Themyscira. Fuck that shit. <laughs> Is it Femme Obscura? Themyscira. 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 Femme Obscura. Femme with a T-H. Is it? I thought it was femme, like woman unseen. <laughs> All right, man, get out of here. That's. I thought that's what the island was named. I'm sorry. I think it might be in some sort of way, but it's it's Themyscira, I, I believe. That's what I get for assuming that my flu-riddled brain heard anything right. <laughs> There's large swaths of this movie. I was like, what the fuck are they saying? Oh, well, <laughs> fuck it. It's animated. Anyway, Carrie Russell, she she's the Wonder Woman. She's great. Nathan Fillion, if you don't know who he is, you're not watching enough good movies and TV. Uh, he plays uh, Steve Trevor. Sleazeball Steve Trevor. He basically is a punch card of misogyny, and he's trying to get his free his free woman by the end of the movie. And he kind of succeeds. 
stick around to find out how. We got Alfred Molina. He plays Ares, you know, God of War. He's a badass. Well, I mean, if he wasn't, he'd be a shitty God of War. Though, he's only God of War for a portion of the movie because, you know, plot. Uh, got Rosario Dawson, probably one of John and I's favorite actors. She plays Artemis, the hard-hitting, non-book-reading warrior princess thing. Non-princess? I don't know. How do you... How? What are the rankings of, you know, an island full of women that are all kind of related to the same people? Are they all princesses or, like, aunt of the queen? I don't... Or sister of the queen? I don't I don't understand. In this rule... Uh, it's the only one born out of sand and blood is the princess. Everyone else is, I don't know, a sister or cousin. Okay. Rosario Dawson, the badass cousin. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I, ki- I kind of led you to say that, so it's all my fault. Uh, we got uh, Marge. We haven't even gotten through the cast yet, and I can just feel the internet trolls lining up to beat us up. I got like four more, dude. Come on. Marge Helgenberger plays Hera for about 12 seconds and then disappears. And then uh, Oliver Platt plays Hades. You know Hades, little ruler of the nether, re- nether regions. Oh, uh, yeah, Hades from around the block. I know that guy. Yeah. Uh, we got Vicky Lewis playing Persephone. And then I just added these two in. They're kind of, well, one's a major plot point, I guess, but the other one's just kind of a throwaway. We got John DiMaggio, who's probably one of my favorite voice actors ever. He's playing Demos. He's Bender, right? Yeah, it's Bender. And then uh, Tara Strong, she plays Alexa. She's also in everything. I think she voiced most of every cartoon in the 2000s. If I just say a cartoon, you're going to just agree that both of those people are in it. Alumnus of Kim Possible, Tara Strong, and John DiMaggio. Yeah. Okay, cool. Excellent. Yeah. I went looking to see, because they're both accomplished voice actors. Famously from Ben 10. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tara Strong is basically all of Harley Quinn and Barbara Gordon. So, you know, she's a different part of the DC universe. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the cast. Our former guest from the Pacific Rim episode, Jason, has a rule that I really like when it comes to comic book movies, which is that you only get to play one hero. So according to his rule, like Ben Affleck is breaking the rules by being Batman because he was already Daredevil. So fuck that guy. So, I mean, I feel like Jason uh, should say, you know, fuck Tara Strong. She can't be Barbara Gordon and frickin' what's-her-name Harley Quinn and Alexa. That's bullshit. Voice actors can break all the rules because they make them. <laughs> I'll accept it just so we can move out of the damn character section. <laughs> On to plot. To the plot. Welcome back. Welcome back indeed. My God, you look strange. I am strange, but I'm not a doctor, so I can't be called Doctor Strange. That's good. However, you are more interesting than that movie. Well, thank you. So we open up on a battle scene, and I described this epic happening as the beast people and the men versus the mighty gold-plated Amazons. It's just action-y stuff until one of the Amazons, I believe, uh, Hippolyta? Hippolyta? Yeah, it's like Hippolyta, I believe. Hippolyta lassos a bird person's feet and rides him to the top of the battle and flings herself up onto the top of the mountain to confront Ares. But more important than the fact that she gets up there to beat up Ares is that she fucking kills the bird that's giving her a ride before she gets there. And that's fucking baller. That's the moment I knew I liked this movie, is that she's like, I'm going to kill my ride halfway to my destination and just coast the rest of the way on a corpse. It really looked like she decapitated it with their fucking queen helmet thing. I was totally in. This this comic is not fucking around. Uh, it's at that point uh, that no words had really been spoken yet either. There's no dialogue whatsoever. She basically lands and is like, come on, fucker. And he's like, but war makes me feel so good because I'm Ares, the god of war. And the psychic energy of people fighting gives me like a boner. 
or you know whatever I don't, I don't know what the technical term is but it gives him life so you know he's a psychic vampire feeding off of the war impulses of people it's war hubris and then he points out that she's the queen of the amazons which is very helpful for the viewers just joining the war in progress we cut to elsewhere in the battle where we see artemis replace a giant beast thing's spine with her sword blade yeah if this were to take place in live action this would definitely be rated r but since it's been drawn it's okay and I'm in favor of everything so far. <laughs> so then we cut to uh, one of the Amazons, Alexa, who's like running away from the battle. And she starts like praying, but I guess she's not praying. It's like she's reciting philosophy. And then one of the other Amazons and says, you know, a sword is more useful than the words of a dead philosopher. And this comes back way later. Foreshadowing. I'm only saying it because it's interesting, not because it's going to matter later. Promise. So then Persephone, she gets a wound to the face. Alexa is reminded by whoever saved her, maybe Artemis, uh, that that's how you fight, is taking swords to the face and showing your scars and being a badass. So don't be a pussy and read books and stuff. Yeah, it's the cost of being a warrior and do whatever it takes and take whatever hits you get and all of those pleasantries. I just gotta say, though, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really tired of this macho bullshit from all these women in all these fucking Hollywood movies. Gets my goose up, in the, up on its <laughs> hind legs. Gets my goose a neckin'. <laughs> So anyway, uh, Hippolyta runs off uh, on a winged guy to decapitate a guy. And the guy that she decapitates, it turns out to be her son, but it's also Ares' son. And Ares is like, whoa, why'd you kill our son? And uh, right as Hippolyta is about to kill Ares, Zeus pops up, like in the clouds, all Monty Python, God in the Sky style. And it's just like, no, no, don't, don't do that. This is great, though, because you just kind of <laughs> like, it's like, pause the movie. Zeus has to speak. He could have stopped this battle, I don't know, four minutes ago at the beginning, but no, then we wouldn't have as much plot as we do. He had right. to wait until Hippolyta's ready to murder her, I don't know, ex-husband, current husband? I don't know how God relations work, whatever. I, th I think in, in Zeus terms, it's complicated. Yeah. So Zeus just pops up and like, whoa, 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 guys, you took this shit too far. All right, kids, simmer down. But I think it's kind of like soccer where it's like a two yellow card situation because they did decapitate two people but a third would be too far if you decapitate the coach that's a red card exactly yeah that's that's like a technical misconduct you're out of here you know yeah it's like targeting yeah everybody knows that the generals don't get stabbed yeah they ride on their horse and play fancy horns that's why i joined west point was so i could get a horse and a horn that's the full saying people don't usually say it but it's three squares and a cot and a horse and a horn that's I like it. What are you talking about? Decapitation. You need to understand, because Zeus pops up, and he's like, nah, bitch, can't do that. And she's like, but I'm going to. And then Hera pops up in the other corner, like, good angel, bad angel kind of bullshit. Well, I think it's more like mom and dad talking to their kid, you know? Yeah, whatever. It's stupid, but she's not even a kid. She's a demigod. Yeah, but Hera is Zeus's wife, so she's like, now be good, Zeus, you know? Yeah, so in order to compromise... He's right? Biff Tannen, she's... Sorry. <laughs> But in order to strike a compromise, right, Hera pops up and is like, no, no, Zeus, you know, she has reason. We freed her to have this war and to have her fight for her freedom because she's been enslaved for years and years and years. And, you know, Zeus, you just don't like women. But Ares has got to have his penance, so let's slap him with these cuffs that make him basically human. Oh, by the way, Hippolyta, you can have this great island of, you know, infinite age and shit where you're not interrupted by spoils of man and all that crap. I just want to point out that the gauntlets that Ares is wearing... 
it's kind of like when you had a solar-powered calculator in the old day, and you put your thumb over the solar thingies, and he just fades down to nothing. Except for him, the sun is obviously the rage of humanity, and the solar reflectors are his arms. He draws all of his power from his mighty, mighty forearms. Which is why if he ever gets carpal tunnel, he's fucked. Oh god, so bad. No one wants to see the day in the life of the senior citizen Aries. <laughs> Just like the most impotent rage in the world. He's like trying to smite people at McDonald's. <laughs> Fucking liver spots. Damn you kids. <laughs> okay. I think the last thing that, that Hera says is, and don't worry, one day on your little island of single gender, you know, solitude, uh, you'll have a baby. But like when the time is right and shit. And that's when Jeff Goldblum steps in and says, nature always finds a way. We then start watching Jurassic Park. Is that what happens? I don't know. I figured one of the Themyscirans developed genitals that matched or that didn't match anymore and they could start procreating. That's what I kind of assumed would happen. I don't know. They did the frog thing. So like one of them just grew like a penis and testes and then bam. Yeah. Then sand babies were born. And then it was Fema not so obscura. (laughs) Oh man. How many times is this joke going to go in this fucking episode? Uh, I mean, I'm going to say it like 20 or 30. I'll probably cut it down to like five. Oh, sweet. I look forward to it. Oh, and uh, Ares will be your prisoner because that seems fair. You can't kill him, but you can like just punch him in the gut or the kidneys every week for like ever. All right. Now uh, let's go to Themyscira already in progress. My very next note is just Hippolyta makes a lumpy sand baby and bleeds on it. Yeah, the great sand princess. But the lumpy sand baby is struck by lightning and then it turns into a tiny person because that's how it works, right? Well, yeah. I've made sandcastles before that turn into palatial mansions when struck by lightning, so... Now, do you have to, like, Simba it? Do you have to, like, raise it to the sky with, like, triumphant music playing? It it depends on what quality of product you really want. If you want, like, kind of an ugly, like, semi-alert baby, like, you can just leave it on the ground. Yeah, it'll be deformed because it'll be the other sand parts still connected to it. Yeah, I'm going to have to cut all this, but luckily it's me tangenting, so I don't have to feel bad. (laughs) Goddamn maple water. So yeah, we cut to Artemis and Diana, and they're sparring, and Diana thwomps Artemis. And there's some debate with Hippolyta about why they bother training if things have been so damn peaceful for so damn long. And you can assume from the jump cut that this is Diana, because, you know, small sand baby now beating up previously famous warrior, duh. So John... Please explain to me this. How does small sand baby grow into a voluptuous adult uh, when time doesn't exist on this island? Simple. Time does exist until you're voluptuous. Oh, okay. Good to know. It's like puberty for them is the cessation of time flow. Yeah. Continue. Basic science, bitch. (laughs) Guess what, Princess Diana? You're the same age as your mother now. Well, no, because her mother went in like later. So she's like, you know, a sexy 36. Dan is a permanent 18. <laughs> permanent kick-ass 18. Maybe she's 20 just because like, you know, she looks like she had a couple years on the lacrosse team, you know, like she's built up some muscle. So she's always going to have a leg up on her older counterparts because they all came into this centuries ago mm-hmm. at whatever age they were at. So they're all centuries older at, you know, 30, 40. Yeah. They, they still have that wear and tear on their body from being slaves. They all have like a, like a giant stockpile of Icy Hot. Diana is not going to need that because her joints are just perfect forever. I expect every 20-year-old coming out of somewhere to beat me up in something. These bones are old and drunken. <laughs> it's a coordination issue for you more than an age issue. <laughs> the mind is willing, but the flesh is weak and bruised. Exactly. So, I don't know. Moving on? We can go. 
Hippolyta takes Diana to the prison to see the darkness of mankind and show her Ares. Uh, she points out that, that he is the spirit of man, full of deception and malice, but he mostly seems kind of like a prisoner. Diana sees it, I guess. I, I didn't. Cut to jets flying and pilots talking about their pucker factor. Oh, yes. Jason, I'll let you take over from here. <laughs> the PF measures the sphincter restriction of a mission. <laughs> it just means you're squeezing your butt cheeks. I get it. Uh, I wrote the female rookie. She doesn't get it. Also, neither did Desi. Desi was like, the what? Elisa got it. She actually laughed about it. I mean, I also reference, oh, you're going to make my butthole pucker all the time. So, Well, yeah. So the pucker factor is just simply defined in looser terms outside of the military environment in your household. Oh, yeah. I mean, we don't give it scientific names or, you know, definition. It's just a, you know, idiom. An idiom? An idiom. Yeah, there you go. The symbology of... What was that movie? Um, Boondock Saints. Yeah, a good old Boondock Saints reference. It's nothing uh, nothing more appropriate for a feminist anthem like Wonder Woman than bringing Troy Duffy into it. (laughs) (laughs) So we got to back up a little bit. You missed the kind of crucial part. Probably. The planes uh, are then attacked by bandits, which is my favorite type of fight, is when bandits show up. So then we have this back and forth uh, cutting between the plane and the island. So Hippolyta yearns for the old world, and she touches her looking glass. It's like it's like a Cinderella glass, except instead of telling her stuff, it apparently is like the toggle for the island. Well, that's how light works, right? If, if the light can't see you, then you can't see the light. So she has to make the island visible to light in order to see things, but that also makes it, you know, visible to other people, so science but then the planes battle some more then we cut to diana she's on a wild horse and she needs to break it alexa points out that much like diana she needed breaking because she was wild and rambunctious and not listening too so break diana <laughs> eh, men are pigs <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> oh by the way elisa was okay with this movie up to this point i'll let you know when she stops being okay with it Steve's plane is damaged and he starts to crash and his eject fails. His response is just like, uh-oh, I like this guy more than Chris Pine already. This is another part of the movie that I'm really upset by. I like that he's funny. I like the, the humor of it, but he's going down in a plane into what is, you know, open ocean. Okay, fine. And then I don't know who, I assume Hippolyta punches the fucking looking glass mirror to reveal the island to him so he could land. She taps the thing again. So he kind of is like, ooh, a landing strip. And I was like, all right, this is, okay, there's a landing strip on Themyscira. Okay, that's cool. And then he lands in fucking water. How is the (laughs) ocean not one giant landing strip to him then? Like, fuck this shit. Like, what the hell? It was a little bit logically inconsistent. I have a feeling that that part of the script, I bet that was supposed to be a field of grass, but the animators were like, but this whole scene's in the ocean, so they made it blue. And then made it operate like water? Like the physics of it? No, they made it operate like blue. Oh, fair. I mean, blues you take with with water, I get that. I'm just making excuses here, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but you're right, that is stupid as shit. And they don't even really mention that it's Hippolyta that's, that's letting him land here, because she's also kind of indifferent towards his existence. A lot of it, like, it's, it's inconsistent. I don't understand. She's indifferent towards him but she just gave her a little monologue about missing the outside world so i think he just represents contact with the outside world okay so i mean that, that was all i read into it was just that she was like yearning for something to happen which is a bad reason as queen to like expose your island to like warplanes but you know whatever yeah but he's the only pilot that you know makes it into this island and probably sees this island so the rest of the world's still none the wiser you want controlled contact you know it's like fear factor you stick your hand in a bucket of cockroaches you don't fill your house with cockroaches i understand he lands and he gets out of his plane safely and this is the sleaze moment i've been working up to he approaches a waterfall of naked bathing beauties and uh 
he gets real creepy about it real fast, at which point he almost gets a spear to the face. Yeah, this whole interaction is where Elisa was like, the fuck? No, seriously, this is this is what's happening. Wait, women don't do this. Even an island full of them aren't just gonna fucking go to the fucking spring and bathe naked. Like, she really was fucking all about it. Not, I don't disagree with her either. This is like old school, like Victorian not even Victorian. This is like Renaissance quality housing. I don't think they had running water, so I think that they do go and frolic naked. All right, John, explain to me how they don't have running water, but they have invisible planes. Because they have very, very bad allocation of resources. Just like the United States, they allocate way too much money to defense and not enough to social, like, uh, infrastructure. <laughs> I'm just saying they have a shitty Congress just like us. That's all. Is it, is it because they're controlled by women that they have a shitty Congress? No, it's Congress Obscura. They don't know where they are, so they can't hold them accountable. <laughs> oh, this Obscura shit's it's really, getting, it's really getting in there. You're hammering it deep. I like it when you name things what they are. And in case the Hidden Women Island is the best name ever. Uh, let's continue. He runs away from the spear that was chucked at his face. And Diana gives chase uh, on her horse. And he falls down a pit into another pond. This place is lousy with ponds. Yeah, Steve Trevor should have died like four times by now. Diana finds him and she tackles him and she rides him downhill like a toboggan, which was fucking amazing. Yeah, he should have been a gnarly mess after that. Cartoon physics is the best. He kind of likes her and he kind of like is like, hey, just got tackled by a pretty lady. So she beats the shit out of him. He had a fighting chance, it seemed. And that's that also bothered me. But, you know. Like, he shouldn't have been, one, shouldn't have been able to run away from them because the Amazonians are fucking demigod strength and speed, so they should have caught him immediately. Uh, They should have never missed him with a spear. Diana should have hit him once, and he should have fell to the ground and died. But maybe, like, let's just generously say the spear was literally a warning shot. Okay, fine. And then he was lucky that they didn't just murder him for trying to run. They seemed in line to murder because he is man, and they do not like man. Yeah, but Diane, I don't think, even knows what a man is at this point. She's looking at her Ken doll that has no parts, and she's looking at him, and she's confused, you know? Yeah, and this is the other part that I'm not kind of through me because they're referencing man, and I'm supposed to assume that this is the male species that they're afraid of, but if a woman fighter pilot crashed down, they wouldn't care? Or is it the human species that they're referring to as man because humans are flawed not just the male of the species. I would love to see the Biff Tannen alternate reality version of this where their their female co-fighter pilot that they were explaining the pucker factor to landed in front instead of Steve. Yeah, because I think that would make for a better to where they're introducing her to things and they don't realize that she's a demon seed of, you know, right. you know, filth and disgustingness of humans because they're all demigods and don't understand. But they're not treated as such. And then she tries to get Diana Prince drunk and Yeah, why not? I like this. Let's 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 write some fanfic. Yeah, I'll get I'll get the old uh, MS Paint running and we can animate this. Yeah, let's do it. MS of course meaning Mario Super Nintendo Paint. Yes, Mario Paint. We'll write a theme song with ducks and horses. It'll be great. Diane is a horse and a horse and a lady and a horse and then the other bad person, Ares, is a duck because everybody knows ducks are evil, which is why you have to hunt them. Yes. In duck hunt. This is a great idea. He wakes up tied to a chair, and the first thing he says is, I haven't had this dream since I was 13. And I'm just like, wow, they're really hammering the sleaziness of this character. Oh, yeah. Like, and they're fucking lampshading it, too. Like, they're just drawing attention to it, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm that way. <laughs> but they just fucking, like, laugh it off, like, every single time. It's, it's horrible. 
it is. I wasn't mad at it because I knew exactly where it was going, which is, you know, this is a this is a matriarchy. He's from a patriarchy. It's a fish out of water story. So like every fish out of water story basically has this thing. And it just happens to be that the one we're watching is in the middle of me too. So, you know, extra awkward. Who knows what I would have said about this years ago or whatever, but now he's more of an asshole than he used to be. Yeah, he's less redeemable, I think. Is you know, he was more redeemable in 2009 than he is in 2018. I don't think he's irredeemable at this point. He's got bad ideas and he says stuff and he's got shitty attitudes and he acts poorly towards women, but like he's got a chance to grow and learn throughout this movie. So yeah, you got to give him that. His scale, you know, given the nine years gap between these movies or between when this movie is made and when we watched it, it just, it just slid a little bit towards irredeemable. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So anyway, one of the Amazons starts smacking him around. And uh, this is when you realize they have questions. This is an interrogation. He's a military man, so he just tries to name, rank, and serial number it, at which point they pull out the lasso, and you get the typical Wonder Woman exposition of, you know, this is the lasso of truth. Uh, Don't fight it. And he's like, I don't have to put up with this crap. You know, they lasso him, and like, what's crap? And he tells them, you know, it's excrement. And they're all like, oh, dear, my, I have the vapors. I'm so Southern in my delicate sensibilities. Like, there's no cursing in this, right? It's a PG-13 movie from DC. I mean, there's not any reason to even, you know, throw expletives into it or anything like that. So the crap thing is just kind of, it's a running joke that doesn't hit that hard. It's a running joke, but I think it would have been better if he had said shit, because if you're going to have the, oh my, you've offended my delicate sensibilities and you've done it with the word crap, I'm just not going to believe you. Well, the funny part is like, clearly everyone knows English, right? It's, it's pretty obvious, but they don't know the idioms of English, yet they speak perfect English. So, I mean, it's just a funny moment. I get it, but... It would have been better if they knew all the idioms of, like, English at the moment that they left. So, like, they were still talking about, like, you know, having to let his blood to adjust his humors, you know? I mean, I don't even know when they left, but, I mean, they mentioned it's thousands of years later, so that's, you know, pre-common era kind of thing. Yeah, I was assuming, like, Pompeii sort of time. Yeah. So then they ask him, what else are you thinking? And he goes, she has a great rack, and they get that one. Yeah, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> they really just wanted to hammer home that crap idea because they wanted to use it over and over again. Yeah, they're going to come back to that one. Like, you, you can't call out an idiom and then not call them all out. It's just lazy writing. Or that means that as a history lesson, you know, Zeus must have been constantly talking about people's racks. They're able to build an invisible plane, so they should know about their uh, endowments. Or maybe, maybe it's like it's natural for a man to find his washcloth holder in the shower, you know? Yeah, maybe. She's like, hey, I can I can store my beer in this. I just got what you're fucking going after. (laughs) I need a beer. Is that a cut or a leave? (laughs) Fuck, I think that's a leave. Princess of Themyscira College Years. Oh, wait, I can store a beer in here. (laughs) Beers, beers, beers. They decide to send him back because he's obviously not a threat. Diana wants to be the one to take him back. Hippolyta is like, fuck no, you're my daughter, you can't do that. But we're going to have a contest to determine who gets to go to the outside world. Persephone is like, since you're not going to be busy, you can help me out with guard duty. And then cut to the day of the contest, and Persephone and Diana are on guard duty, and Alexa, Diana's sister? Question mark, however that works. I'm, I'm going with aunt. Yeah, they're all ants to 
Diana, even though she calls them sister. I think that's just more like a colloquial bullshit. Alexa comes to relieve Diana of her guard duty and is basically like, oh, I just want to read these books instead of that dumb fight anyway. Diana's like, but they'll know who I am. And he's like, why don't you hide her or hide your face with a uh, combat helmet? And she's like, ah, oh, damn, that's such a good idea, book nerd. Thank you. Yes, yeah, smart one. So the contest consists of javelin throwing, archery, a chariot race, gladiatorial combat, Nathan Fillion still thinking about Diana's boobs. Uh, that is there. Yeah, it is. Cut to Alexa. So Alexa's quoting the philosopher again at Persephone, and Persephone stabs her in the back, like totally like lifts her off the ground with her sword. And then Persephone's just like, teehee, and she lets out Ares, uh, who gives Persephone a kiss. Ares is like, nah, I'm just like super glad to be out. This is awesome. I love it. And I'm glad that Diana's still alive, which we don't really understand. But I feel like he wanted her there to kill her because Hippolyta killed their son, so she want- he wanted to kill her daughter. Oh, But then we go back to the contest, and it's tied between two fighters, and there's a tiebreaker, which is my favorite tiebreaker ever. Diana and the other contestant allow an ever-increasing number of archers to shoot arrows directly at their faces until one of them falls over. Yeah. After a period of time, there's like 12 archers, and everybody's getting shot point-blank in the face with arrows, but person falls over so diana wins the queen gives diana basically a bunch of shit and i thought this was interesting because i never knew this but she gives diana the costume and she says it's made of the colors of the place where she is going and i was like oh that actually kind of makes sense why she was always like such an american superhero looking girl yeah i didn't realize that either until this so good for you movie i think we are probably the least comic booky people in the world so the fact that we're talking about this means that they expected some people like us to watch this shit she also gives her the lasso of truth two gauntlets of power made from zeus's shield and then the queen finally sees that it's diana and she gives her her own crown bong 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 yeah and she's super like not emotional about it which i thought was was better because like it's like oh no not my daughter is the standard response but she was just like in here this is yours It's like minimal animation, you know, so the things that don't have to move don't move, you know? No, that's true. It makes reading her face in this moment kind of hard. You're just like, is she pissed or is her face just frozen? So this is one moment where I thought it was kind of funny. They discover Alexa's body and Ares is missing and the queen realizes that Persephone is a traitor and she's the real traitor. And so now her journey has two purposes. Yeah, Persephone and Ares got to bring them back as prisoners and take this lost puppy to his to the you know to the neighbors you know yeah the, the address is on his tags just you know get him back the the final direction of how to get steve home though is from hippolyta she says follow the path of misery and destruction and you will find aries and desi just started laughing and said i thought she was going to say america <laughs> <laughs> love it I knew I liked her. So Diana and I'm still referring to him as Fillion in my notes, but Diana and Steve take the stealth jet to Central Park where a drunk bum does the normal drunk bum freak out. Yeah, again, the fucking plane, man. I get the plane is a part of the comics. I get it. But this is kind of like an origin story-esque kind of thing. Like, I kind of want some goddamn plane background, like a throwaway, like a map on the wall or something. I don't know. It's like they're walking through like a cave and there's like one really detailed schematic. Yeah. And then a bunch of cave paintings of buffalo. Yeah. Like they have no mention of technology. Like they're still wearing like warrior clothes from like 6 BCE. Like what the fuck? 
they have a plane. Yeah. Did, you know, someone donate this plane to them that we didn't know about? Come on, guys. Diana freaks out and she finds a, a crying girl. And the girl is mad because she's being excluded from the boys' games. The boys are playing pirates, so they're like sword fighting. Diana instructs the tiny child how to unleash maximum damage against the boys. And Desi just went, aw, so cute. <laughs> I do like Steve's line once the girl goes out there and is like, oh, that's cute. You taught a girl how to disembowel her friends. <laughs> exactly. And of course, in the background, you see the kids like getting chased by the girl because she's like so effective now with her sword. Yeah. But, it, but she doesn't actually have a sword. It's actually just a pointy stick. Which is all you really need. Steve then says one of his many endearing lines, which is, Great, I have security clearance. We can go, like, look Aries up at the computer, but let's get you into clothes that won't get me arrested for solicitation. Yeah. He's such a charmer in this. They have a plane, but they don't have the common knowledge to put Diana in sensible clothes. How hard is that to fucking travel in a fucking invisible jet with that kind of clothing on? Like, the altitude's gonna make you swell up and shit. She had to take a fuck ton of Advil on the plane. <laughs> Like just wearing tight socks make my toes swell up like little bitches. Right on, yeah. So anyway, uh, they go to the office, and a secretary asks Steve to move a table, and she very clearly wants to wiggle her ass at him, but, you know, Diane is there. So Diane just says, what's wrong with you? You seem to be fit. <laughs> she picks the desk up with one hand like it's a coffee tray. <laughs> yeah, this is just another one of those, you're lampshading bullshit, right? Like... You're going to have this this human woman make herself look inferior to get the attention of a male, but ultimately make fun of it and then just glance, glance over it like it didn't happen. It's like that sort of thing, like just irritates me. It's one of those moments where like clearly she's a superhuman. You know, it's like the guy who sees Clark Kent walk into a, uh, you know, a phone booth and then Superman comes out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like and they, they don't put together that the same guy just went in and came out. It's just like, you're like, what the fuck? How stupid are people? 1950s stupid. Yeah. Diana points out that the women of mankind are kind of idiots because they've allowed themselves to be, com- be conditioned as less than men. They didn't allow themselves. They were forced into it. They were never given an option. So that's just horseshit. She's just talking from her perspective, you know, as an Amazon. That makes Diana seem quaint and stupid. And that's just, that's not how she's supposed to be either. So it's fucked for both reasons. Well, and to your point, Steve calls her out on exactly what you're complaining about while they're drunk, so or while he's drunk. Fine, I'll give Steve some bonus points for agreeing with me that, that a movie that I've already seen and watched this movie. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, they do whatever the fuck they were trying to do at this place. I don't. This part was kind of fuzzy because they had the computer for some reason, and then they just kind of do it and they're out. Um, I think they discover that Ares has increased violence in his path. Yeah, Ares is going to increase violence wherever he goes, so they just kind of look for that the algorithm that plots violent paths, I don't know, like trends in violence, like upticks in violence or whatever. She's like, oh, he's going to this place because that's the most logical place he should be going. Even though if it's the most logical place he should be going, they should have need a, a plot map of violence, but whatever. I knew I'd find you here at the place labeled Ares House of Violence. Yeah, I mean, whatever. It's poor writing. <laughs> Now that they know exactly where he is, they decide to go get drink tequila. Again, like, I think the only reason they put that in there is to have the scene with Steve's secretary, Etta Candy, because she's a popular character in the comic books. And her name is Etta Candy? Yeah. Wow. That's a shitty name. The same character was in the, the live action Wonder Woman 2. It wasn't a blonde that is trying to get into the pants of Steve, but it was a comedic relief. She wasn't basically shaking her ass at Steve like a baboon? No. She was the okay. level-headed character that tried to, you know, inform Diane of proper womanly trends and whatever. 
They go to the bar, and he decides to feed her tequila. There's kind of a fun scene of him just getting hammered and them going through, like, a night of a date, but, like, him going through, like, the bragging phase and then, like, the introspective phase and then, like, the I can't focus phase, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. they're kind of funny together, but then the booze doesn't affect her, and he's totally tanked. There's a moment in there where Diana's like, why the hell would Persephone fall for Ares? That's stupid. And basically Steve tries to explain that girls tend to like the bad boys. And there's one really funny line where he just says, if the god of dependability hit on her, she'd be all like, yeah, you're nice, but... I did like that line, only because it's a silly, silly line. I mean, it's playing up tropes on both ends of the gender spectrum. Very much. He's really drunk and he tries to kiss her. And Diana takes us, like, proving her mom complete rewrite that men are all terrible. And, you know, she runs off from the bar all mad. At which point she goes down an alley and the thugs try to rob her and Steve as he chases after her. This is a almost shot for shot what happened in the live action, too. You know, you got to pay a stupidity tax for bringing a fine lady like this out into an alley in this neighborhood. And Steve's like, yeah, take my wallet. Diana's like, no, you will offer me an apology and and proceeds to just own them. Uh, And this is other parts that irritate me. On Themyscira, they'd never do any like gun training. Does Diana just intrinsically know the physics and how fast bullets travel or can track anything at that sort of speed? Because she blocks like 12 shots. This whole Themyscira shit needs to be modernized to fit better, in my opinion. Are you suggesting that the tactics of a fight with bows and arrows are different than with guns? I might be, yes. I don't know, Jason. That seems mighty judgy of you. And that having an invisible plane on an island where there's no cars seems a bit of a stretch. (laughs) (laughs) To the audience that can't see this, uh, I just made John choke. So it's pretty pretty awesome. He pointed out a funny while I was whiskeying. I get like the the born sex yesterday fucking trope bullshit, but they should at least have like human TV so they could study what the fuck's going on. Because as far as I'm concerned, they haven't. They don't know. They should be afraid of everything that's going on. They should be afraid of this giant metal vehicle that's barreling down on them every time they cross the street. Maybe they're more like Ford Prefect. When he saw a car, he's like, what is this strange creature hurtling towards me with a greeting? And he tried to hug it. The fair, fair. Yeah. I mean, they don't have a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but... To your actual point, if they did have cable, that would mean they would have Fox News and they would never have opened the dome to let Steve in. <laughs> that, that's a great point. Uh, getting back to the point, uh, Diana just ruins all these thugs at this point i'm like wait she could have did this to steve early on like they didn't even land a hit on her but steve somehow kicked her once is steve some sort of expert in fighting whatever as we find out later with the lasso he's quite the ladies man so he knows how wily they are so he had a a good idea what she was gonna do this new thug is coming from the darkness and he's like don't worry i can handle this because he's now emasculated and needs to feel like a big man (laughs) so it's it's demos the second general of Ares. And he wants to kill whatever the Amazonian was who, what, bringed that pilot back. It's John DiMaggio. Yay! (laughs) But most importantly, John DiMaggio playing Demos has a snake face. He does. And some snake sub-faces. Yeah, like, there's just, like, he's got, like, a whole Medusa theme going on, but, like, while also having, like, a Toka Razor theme going on. It's kind of cool. Yeah, Steve promptly gets thrown to the garbage. Another fight ensues. Yeah, getting that garbage, stupid man. Except it's uh, Demos and Wonder Woman going after it this time. And they fight all over the fucking city. Oh, they do. And there's nobody around. Like, that's what I love about comic book movies, is that the human casualty and actuality should be extraordinarily high. 
But oh, yeah. whenever they fight, there's conveniently no citizens around to either see it, hurt from it, or at work. Doing anything about a town of the size of New York, which is a very late town, there's humans on every street. Do you remember the uproar after uh, Man of Steel for the same reason? Yeah. Everybody freaks the fuck out because the human casualty, the cost of life should be astronomical when they bring that tower down in Man of Steel. What was the next Superman movie? Um, Doomsday. I don't remember the title of it, but yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Desi and I were watching that and I kept cracking up because about every 14 seconds during every single fight, some secondary side character that was like in the background would scream, they're in the abandoned warehouse district. The financial district is closed on the weekends, so nobody should be there. Like, but literally, there was like some ADR, like post-added justification yeah. for why it was okay for them to have like a city-wide leveling fight every ten seconds. I've heard this in many things since that happened. No, no, no. But in that Doomsday movie, I was laughing my ass off because the movie was so shit. It was the only thing that was entertaining me. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, so Diana and Demos are just fighting across the city. And all of a sudden, he throws her against this thing and her dress starts to tear. And then she just rips it off to reveal her Wonder Woman costume, complete with lasso. And I'm just like, is that a lasso under your dress? (laughs) (laughs) And the note that I made was, she seamlessly steps out of her dress while holding onto the sleeves, which she then uses to throw Demos to the ground. And I was like, yeah, that's a power dress. That is a power dress. Fight's fine. I mean, it's just absurd. It's a comic book fight can i add one more violent detail yes please after the dress thing she somehow gets thrown into a shoe store and she gets thrown against the wall and demos is like trying to squeeze her head and she takes the display rack high heel and stabs him in the eye with it yes and she also takes some of the leftover glass and cuts off several of his under snakes (laughs) the fight is just a fight but then she eventually lassos him this is great. Steve is like, don't fuck around. She's going to make you answer. And he's like, I don't answer shit. Fuck you. And then he bites himself with one of his snake things, which turns him into, into like a demon dust explosion. Yeah. To which Desi responded, he just made an asp of himself. <laughs> That's a fucked up pun. So go Desi. Best pun of the movie. Anyway, he does this and then Steve finds a little medallion in the ash. And it's the medallion of Hades. It's the symbol of Tartarus. Tartarus? Tartarus. Oh, I didn't actually. I just assumed it was Hades because that's how they inferred. It's the Greek underworld, which I think is the space that Hades owns. Oh, sure. Yeah, I don't know Greek mythology very well. So Hades is the guy. Tartarus is the place. That That's how they know where they're going. Now, this is like a logical jump that I completely did not follow. Jump cut to them at a military base, uh, and they have found the cult of Ares. Yeah, this is another one of those big, just kind of like, I don't know, Ares ex machina. I don't know. Like, what the fuck? There's one line that's like, Diana says, oh, well, we found the cult of Ares. They've been waiting for his return for thousands of years. And you're just like, well, neat. You found a medallion for the Greek underworld, but that didn't tell you go to Des Moines. Yeah, it doesn't tell you where the Greek underworld is. Yeah. You you had an idea of the path he was going on, but you didn't know where he ended up. And the movie just kind of like tries to gloss over this with a confident like nod from a beautiful heroine going, no, that's cool. I think the movie's is asking us to just believe in it. I feel like there was a entire section of the movie from one commercial break until the next that was left on the cutting room floor. <laughs> so they get to Taurus or the Cultivaries or wherever the fuck they are. And it's a military base, kind of, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like some huge thing. And it's kind of like in the side of a mountainous kind of area, I guess. Yeah. So they fly their invisible jet there you know, beat up a couple guards. They're all in gray. So, you know, they're not American. Well, and Diane and Steve are having like a couple fight while they're breaking necks, which is fun. 
Oh, yeah. You have to have the main characters arguing over something because this happened in multiple, multiples of films. This is the entire premise of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah. We're bad boys. <laughs> Name a buddy thing ever, and they're arguing while they're doing stuff. We cut to the inside of the mountain where the, the outpost is set up, and Persephone's and Ares are going to an altar thingy. Ares is going to ask his uncle to take the bands off because there was a line I didn't mention earlier about how the bands can only be removed by a god. Ares mentions that the altar in front of them needs a sacrifice to open the gates. Persephone's, you know, it's implied that he's going to murder her a little bit. And I really wanted that. I really wanted it. Well, you didn't like a Persephone's? No, I just wanted there to be consequence. You betrayed your people, now stabbed in the face? Like, I wanted, like, something to happen of value aside from Alexa getting stabbed. Right? Like, I wanted, like, Ares to be like, you betrayed your own people. You're not worthy of being next to a god. And then just throwing her on the slab and stabbing her with her own dagger. I wanted there to be consequence. I want that of every movie, though. But this is my favorite thing about cult members, okay? And this this applies less to animated films. Anytime you're watching a movie and there's, like, a motorcycle gang that all wears masks, I love it because that tells you that they only had four guys and they just had them run in and out of the same (laughs) shot. So I'm always in favor of, like, masked, generic bad guys. I just, I don't know, I love it. It's because they get more work? Because they play multiple parts? No, because I start looking to see, like, which one has a limp, trying to count how many times a limpy guy runs through the shot. How many times he dies, how many times he keeps running through. If you watch enough Mystery Science Theater, you'll start watching out for the generic soldiers. (laughs) I will start doing this more. So anyway, uh, the fake out is he asks uh, Persephone's for her dagger he then murders the fuck out of a guard because as jason said he's disposable and a you know cell animation when uh persephone offers him the dagger we get a cutscene to diana and steve just kind of sitting back there like oh my god it's the blood moon this is the only time he can open the gates of terry's or whatever oh my god this is all planned blah 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 and i was like oh this is fucking convenient isn't it he planned his escape around the same time that steve was gonna fucking crash land on the island and and now diana who probably would have wouldn't have gone here if it weren't for steve is now here the only person who can do whatever she's got to do fuck that shit don't make it on a day just be like well if aries comes here on any day you can do it just that's all that's easy but here's the thing pseudo profound bullshit doesn't work unless you act like it's like hard it's always too convenient and it just irritates me like if this were a series i'd get it this is a hour and 30 minute movie it's not hard what you're saying is like in an hour 10 minute movie they set up an obstacle and solve it two and a half minutes later there's a fight that ensues this is another part of it that i've fucking just didn't understand Ares. he summons demons from the walls Mm -hmm. i thought he couldn't do that with the fucking band still on because he hasn't opened the gates yet he hasn't seen his uncle you know that's a really good point he has a gargoyle statue come to life is that what you're talking about yeah like those are I, i would i don't know assume demons of some sort the only way that could work if he's not summoning them is if he like stashed them and covered them in plaster like hours earlier but he like put them there and said, sit, stay. What I assume is happening is uh, anybody can summon magic in this universe because it happens a little later on with other people too. But in the beginning, they say he is basically human. Mm -hmm. So are they saying that humans can summon these incarnations as well? It's either that or he's basically the God equivalent of human, which is still better than human, but not power having. So then like, I guess basic witchcraft 101 is still open to him, but everything else is gone. Anyway, he summons some gargoyles, more fights ensue. I like the gargoyle fight. It was nice. I mean, it was a a well laid out fight. I like the fact that 
Diana's fighting the gargoyle and Steve tries to grab it by the tail and his fighting technique is to crawl up to its head and force feed it a grenade. That was an awesome scene. He blew the fuck out of a gargoyle (laughs) and then ran down its tail and caught Diana and managed to fall to the earth without hurting himself. Which I think this might actually be the only real moment of heroic activity that Steve gets, you know. And he gets yelled at for it. Well, yeah, of course. But that's because instead of chasing after Ares and stopping him, he drags her to safety like an asshole. Yeah, asshole. Total dickbag. Ares and Persephone, they continue on their merry way to the hall. The three-headed dog Cerberus barks at Ares and and Persephone, but like Ares is like, nah, dude, you're my buddy. And he's like, yeah, but I don't know her. So he leaves her behind and continues on to see Uncle Hades. Ares asks Hades for help, and Hades is like, why the fuck would I help you, you little shit? You're kind of an asshole. And Ares is like, nah, this is easy. I'm going to kill as many people as possible, and they're all going to come and be your servants in hell. Hades is like, nah, that's a good idea. I like this. I'm on board. And then he takes off his cuffs. But before he does, Hades calls a slave to bring him like some grapes. And it's like Traxes or whatever his name is, which is Ares' son. Thrax. Thrax, who I wrote Trax, T-R-A-X. <laughs> so he calls Thrax Ares' son, who uh, Hippolyta murdered the fuck out of in the opening scene. They had like little snitch stitches around the neck, all Frankenstein's monster style. It was great. Yeah, he kind of looks like a zombie, but like with a tray of grapes. Yeah. Oh, weak and pitiful. Ares does seem pretty annoyed by this, but he accepts it and he approaches uh, Hades and just uh, gets his bands taken off. And that's when we cut to the hospital where Diana's passed out in bed and Steve's uh, sitting there attentively like a little lovelorn suitor. So they exit this base entrance to hell in a helicopter, but they came via the invisible jet. So am I to assume that Steve took this helicopter, flew it to the jet, put diana in said jet and then flew her to a hospital now i don't believe that i think he just took this helicopter to go do that shit so now the plane's lost how do you find an invisible jet in a fucking forest it's like dude where's my car (laughs) like dude where's my car i think that he like searched her purse and found her key fob and then like (laughs) and he at least like locked the doors so nobody would steal the stereo and she just got it the next morning like a good person after a party yeah she had too much gargoyle blood to drink and she kind of passed out a little bit doctors needed to rehydrate her so you know when she woke up she's like oh no i got this she wheels out of the hospital room iv still in her arm on that little dolly stand yeah walks all the way back to hell gets in her <laughs> invisible plane with her iv starts it up realize she left the lights on and the battery's dead she calls amazon automotive assistance they send out an invisible jumper cable pack <laughs> She zaps herself trying to hook it up backwards because the wires are invisible. She can't find the right leads. All of this with one broken shoe because it's walk of shame time. Yeah, I mean, you you drink that much gargoyle blood, you're going to have a bad time. (laughs) You're at least going to have some insistent poops in the morning. Hospitals may need to be contacted. Uh, Plumbers definitely will need to be contacted (laughs) because that that gargoyle blood, it coagulates in the pipes. Have we fallen uh, far enough off topic? Yeah, I think we have. Let's let's, Let's jump back on this train. Uh, Yeah, so back in the hospital bed, she's got the jet now, don't worry. She points out that he must have only saved her because she's a girl and he's a man. And he points out that Amazon's so high and mighty about the gender issues and basically has this uh, nice outburst where he's like, fuck you for assuming that I'm totally always trying to sleaze on you. Maybe I saved your life because I like you. Which is kind of, you know, what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit early to to like someone in any sort of meaningful way, but yeah. I'll give him it. Well, I mean, even if he just likes her, like, you know, hey, she's good at watching baseball games with me. No, I mean, she's 
she can clearly listen to me be drunk asshole on tequila. After one drunk night with somebody at the bar, I'll typically not want them dead. Yeah. I would say one qualification is not wanting someone dead uh, if you like them, right? Definition B, but it's there. Ares is getting his army together. Steve and Diana... They land at the Lincoln Memorial, and this is yet another Nathan Fillion line, which is, they're, I mean, they're immediately surrounded by enemies, and they're in a fight. And he just, like, looks off screen, and he just goes, they're messing with Lincoln. Nobody messes with Lincoln. And then he rushes off to, like, go save the Lincoln Memorial. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, Ares seems concerned with Washington way too much. I don't know why this is a thing. Near the gates of hell, he could have just started his, his revolt there and just moved it west or east, depending on where it was. Or north or south. I assume the gates are hell or somewhere in Georgia because the devil is close or devil went down to Georgia. (laughs) Cut to the government. They still don't know what's going on, but the beast army is back. Ares is just like, this is amazing. I love how much hate there is. It's fed me to the point where I can conquer the gods. Ares goes to kill Diana. He wants to kill her sort of in the same decapitating way as the way that Thrax was killed. Yeah. The Amazonians show up. This is like in the fucking battle of the five armies when like they just ride over the fucking hill into the battle. Save the day. I mean, this is the dumbest fucking thing ever, though. All right, let's paint a picture here. You have the army of whatever they're called, gargoyles, the army of Ares, which is just anger, which he should be making the people around him angry as well, which means any human army that comes near him should be fighting themselves, which they aren't with the theory of the film itself. But the army of Ares starts attacking them. Then Steve and Diana show up and start fighting all of them. And oh, great, grand, wonderful. Ares is about to get the decapitating blow on Diana. The fucking Themyscirans show up, the Amazonians, in fucking boats. Yeah. And they, they fucking beach in Normandy this shit. The fucking front flips down, the fucking armies roll out, and now there's no humans left. The humans are a side plot of this movie, it seems. There's no reason for the humans to have been attacked in the first place, so I'm kind of glad they're gone, you know. Fast forward, Themyscarans are just flying in on Pegasi left and right, fucking boats here and there. How fast are these fucking boats? It's not like they have motors. They're all basically like rowboats. Or just the Themyscarans just that fucking great at rowing no dude the femme obscurans <laughs> they came on their femme obscure battleships okay so there was like fucking warships that carried them and these are just the little excursion boats that they sent from the warships they left femme obscura like nine months ago when diana first left they were like we better send some backup just in case she's never had a mission of her own i mean if they made that comment i would have loved this movie so much more. <laughs> like if they just said like we sent backup in our invisible battleships just in case when she's taken off the invisible jet and taken off for the america hippolyta turns to fucking artemis and says uh send the ships now right because she's gonna fuck up <laughs> Send the Navy. My, my daughter's kind of an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we have like Themyscirans. Um, I guess they're Amazonians. I don't really know what to call them. It's at this point that we cut back to the government. And the government has noticed a random island in the Aegean Sea. And basically they're like, well, all these gargoyles and shit are weird. That island wasn't there before, which is weird. So maybe the gargoyles came from the island. So let's nuke it. No, that's exactly what happened. They could have played this so much better. Like, the Ares gaining all this power and all this war, they should have been shooting this missile at Russia. Like, they should have been shooting it at Canada, and then Canada should have shot back. And <laughs> Take this, you maple syrup-loving motherfuckers. <laughs> but I guess that's a two-hour movie, not an hour and 30-minute movie, so... The fun thing, though, is that what you're saying is the motivation that this movie should be using. They should be saying, the presence of Ares next to the seat of the government has influenced the government to make horrible, violent decisions. But instead, they just cut to the government they go what is it i don't know kill it yeah 
When in reality, what would normally happen is they go, hey, something weird happened over there. And they're like, is it fighting us? And they're like, no, okay, we'll deal with it later. But anyway, Ares, we cut back outside to him immediately after the decision to nuke has happened. And he's monologuing about how the humans have developed a weapon that the use of one of those would feed him with the psychic energy of 1,000 wars. And in what has to be the most sarcastic animation ever, he's giving this monologue as the nuclear weapon is flying behind his shoulders. Yeah, and all this time, he's horning the fuck out. Like, he's growing shit. He's inflamed. He's gaining mass. Comes bigger and bigger and bigger until he's like twice, if not three times the size as what he was. And at least twice as hairy. Oh, at least twice as hairy. And that's when he just thwomps Diana. Oh, yeah, just crushes her right (laughs) through the White House. Steve goes off to stop the nuke in his jet, which, Jason, would you like to explain why that's not going to work? It's the it's the invisible jet. Uh, he gets in it. He takes off. He chases missile. But I assume that they would have to launch an intercontinental ballistic missile. Yes, yeah, so we got a parabolic situation. So they have to shoot it straight up, and then it comes straight down several hundred thousand miles later. Uh, so you can't really chase it with a plane, because uh, planes don't move like that. Also, what do you think the travel time is for that missile versus the, for the plane? They launch the missile. Steve has to run to a fucking plane, get in it, figure out how to launch the motherfucking thing, take the fuck off, and then fly after it. The Mascura is already gone. So it's another act of stupid heroes. What's the total travel time for the missile from the U.S. to the AGNC? Like what? Like 28 minutes? Is the AGNC actual place? Yeah, it's like near Greece. Oh, that'd be probably... 40 minutes? Yeah, 40 minutes. So what's the travel time in a, we'll say, the fastest intercontinental jet that we're aware of? I mean, fuck. The old or supersonic jets they used to have Mm -hmm. that hit Mach 2 or 3 that broke the speed of sound would get there in like three hours. So there you go. That's just math. Unless the invisible jet's doing greater than Mach 3, there's no chance in hell. And if it was doing greater than Mach 3, the shockwaves would have, by definition, nullified the invisibility, because there'd be people going, what the fuck was that? And the G-force put onto Steve's body would liquefy him. Ooh, liquid Steve. (laughs) Liquid Steve! Liquid Steve. (laughs) I mean, it wouldn't liquefy him, but it would make him pretty pretty damn uh jelly well he'd pass the fuck out and not be awake to see the missile hit no he'd probably crash land into the missile spot make a nice little dugout for the missile to hit (laughs) Uh, i'm not going to double check any of this so factual accuracy not guaranteed Ares now enumerates his new powers, even though he hasn't had any time to learn what they are, but they include a newfound dominion over the dead. So he summons, in an ironic act, the an army of Amazonian dead. I just want to put this out there. As soon as this happened, I, cl- I coined the term Zombazonians. I like the Zombazonians, but when you bring the dead to life and they come up from the ground, is it understood that those things should be in the ground beneath them? Well, I think he sucked them through the earth to the current location. <laughs> okay. Because they, they all rise out of the Washington, D.C. ground. And unless I'm mistaken, the Aegean Island is not in Washington, D.C. <laughs> I don't believe it is. I just imagine that if he sucked all those corpses through the ground to Washington, D.C., they would, like, pop out covered in bull weevils and just a liquidified skin. So wait, aside from one of the Amazonians that was brought back, they could have been in D.C. because... They only got Themyscira after the war, and none of them has potentially died since then, so they could have been anywhere, aside from the one main fucking one that came up. There's probably like five or six in Amazonia that have like broken necks from horse riding accidents over the last like 2,000 years, but like they would pop up and not be able to see where they were going, so. I would assume the crime rate in Amazonia is pretty low, and the death rate too. But no, you're right, because 
the 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 prime one that pops up is Alexa. She she comes out and she definitely died in the Aegean island. Yeah. So she got sucked through the earth. At very least, I think she would have like popped out with some like liquid magma on her shoulder she had to brush off. Like something. The Zombazonians start fighting the Amazonians and everything's a Zonian. Alexa is fighting Artemis and Alexa, while fighting Artemis, whispers at her some magic words, some Klaatu, Barada, Nictu shit. Don't do that to us, John. Well, are you afraid that the uh, the fucking thing's going to happen? Yeah, you you have the fucking Book of the Dead in your fucking apartment right now. I don't want that shit to happen. That's true, yeah. So Artemis is like, that's weird. I've heard those words before. They're from a philosopher that she used to quote at me or something. And then she says it back to the Zombazonian Alexa, which nullifies the spell that Mega Super Ultra Ares put on them. And I don't understand, but it like voids his contract and like AT&T reclaims them. Yeah. I mean, they basically just kind of like vanish back into non-existence. All is well again, but Ares is still super strong as hell. And he gives Diana the double ovary buster. And and then we cut to Steve chasing a missile that he can't possibly chase because parabolic flight. Yeah, exactly. Steve can't get to the missile in time, and he knows this. And he's like, what the fuck? I'm just going to watch Amazonia get nuked. And then the nuke explodes mid-sky, and he's like, duh, they have invisible missiles. Why didn't I think of that? Well, the other thing is he's also trying to shoot it, but he doesn't know how to shoot missiles from the Amazonian plane that may or may not have missiles on it because they seem to be of peaceful people. But they only seem that way because they have invisible ground-based artillery. Yeah. We cut back to Diana, and Ares is trying to, like, lightning kill Diana with, like, the Die Another Day sky laser. You remember that thing? Yeah. I mean, I think he's just trying to use the power of Zeus because he feels all the hubris right now and all the war and all the shit, even though the missile failed. So then uh, the queen kills Persephone, who basically just says that she wanted to be, like, a traditional 1950s housewife and have a love life and a kid and shit. Elisa's like, what the fuck? seriously all right fine i'm done and then she kind of walked away <laughs> and i get that because basically they're they're nod to women having the right to do what they want with their lives is basically to counteract the cliche of the overactive militant feminism with the cliche of the 1950s housewife and then quote unquote balance question mark it's a bad way to say balance Exactly, yeah. So to unpigeonhole somebody, they just stuck somebody else into a different pigeonhole. So anyway, Ares then uh, takes Diana back in their fight and skips her across the reflecting pool like a stone in the water, which was great. Yeah, I think I was like, ooh, six skips. Nice. <laughs> so then she waits for him to try the lightning strike again. And when he like pushes the fire button, I guess there's like a four second delay and she lassos him and pulls him into the path of the beam and jumps out of it. And apparently the act of shooting himself with a big lightning pole and also defending himself from a big lightning thing that he also did is enough to like drain his energy. And then she totes just like chops his head off. Where's your God now, bitch? There's like 11 left. There's like a shitload of them. They're everywhere. Well, yeah, but at this point, Zeus should have showed up and be like, uh, 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 Diana, <laughs> you can't kill him. Let's put those cuffs back on. The resolution of this is really minimal. And it's like 19 and a half minutes into the episode of Ninja Turtles and like the Foot Clan just walks off into the shadows. That's what the zombie army does. Yeah, there's kind of like, uh, I guess we lost. But now there's an evil army somewhere just wandering around begging for change and nobody notices. I assume evil army troop one said to troop two is like, hey, you just want to get some Starbucks? 
I think we're done here, right? With Ares head off, the evil army shirked off into the shadows. The government now takes notice that they were just saved by, and I quote, a bunch of armored supermodels. Yeah. <sighs> so then Steve and Diana meet, and she's got a bloody nose, and he's got a need for the love. I love that after the entire battle, I mean, I get it. It's a cartoon. It's meant for PG-13 stuff. Several decapitations. All Wonder Woman has is a bloody nose and she could wipe it away and then she's fine again when she wipes it away it doesn't end up on her hand it's just gone yeah she was slammed through a building i'd be okay with a black eye so then we cut to a hades oliver platt monologue at uh aries as he approaches the monologue is basically like yeah zeus said that if i helped you you'd only hurt yourself i should have listened for shame i should have listened at which point aries takes up his place next to uh thrax his dead son behind Hades, serving him grapes forever. And I should mention, we never talked about this. Hades is basically hedonism, but he is a giant blubberous mass and it's disgusting as fuck. Yes, it is. And Elisa's like, wait, am I supposed to know who this is? And I was like, well, it kind of happened when you were getting ready, but it's Hades. And she's like, why is he so fat? And I was like, because it's like the hedonism bot. <laughs> well, it's like all of the, sur- like when you go to hell, you're, you just have a job and that's to bring him food. Yeah. Cut from there to uh, Artemis trying to read. And this is one of my favorite Artemis lines in the movie, which is, I'm trying to read, but it's fiercely boring. Yeah, that's why I fell in love with this character. It was too far <laughs> near the end, but I was like, you, you understand me. And then they sort of all just sort of take a moment to take note of the fact that Diana seems depressed now that she's back in Amazonia. I assume days have passed maybe months i don't know well in my mind it was like two thousand years it can't be two thousand years because she goes back to steve in a bit but you know i wanted it to be like to go back and just be like you know completely different he dies of old age instead of by missile she's actually getting groceries with like his great great grandson kids like really confused but she's really hot so he's not gonna fight it i would say that the sleazing is at least 15 percent of this movie oh yeah dan is upset that she's missing out on her steve piece What's Hippolyta to do but to give Diana her uniform and say, you can go to America and be Wonder Woman, but you have to come back every once in a while to say hi to your parents, which is what every parent would ever do, which is the most realistic part of this entire film. She's like, but don't forget to call. I don't know. Like the warrior suit. I feel like that's the wrong suit. And I get its importance in this character's life, but you would think she'd be like, you know, mom. Maybe I can leave the suit here for a while and just take my normal street clothes. Keep in mind that her normal street clothes are basically like ancient Greek armor. I mean, even then, she looks like a more reasonable cosplayer than, you know, what she would be wearing in a Wonder Woman outfit. That's probably true. Yeah, end of the movie is just her buying fucking groceries with Steve. I don't know, there's like a cry for help and like a human cat person robs a bank. And uh, she goes to stop it and she like gets all Superman about that shit. And then the movie ends. I say we call that. That's it for the movie. That's the movie section. It's done. Movie section over. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not in the business of giving transitions, just like John Wh- John Woo's not in the business of telling me what his movie means. So what'd you think? I did not like this. It's it's all about the writing and the plot goofs and continuity bullshits. Mm-hmm. That I just I don't know. Like I expected better because I've seen a bunch of the DCU stuff. Oh, have you? Yeah, I've seen uh, like Flashpoint Paradox and Justice League War. And I thought those were two much better films. And Batman Year One is probably one of my favorite DC movies ever. So, See, I'm just totally shocked because 
for me, I, I enjoyed the shit out of this. Maybe I enjoyed it so much because I haven't seen any of those, but this just like took me back. Like the tone, obviously it was not matching the Batman, the animated series, but that was like the last DC animated thing I watched. This just took me back to like that mindset. And I just, I don't know, like I enjoyed the fuck out of it. It's an enjoyable film, but if, if you come in it with a certain mindset, uh, it's no longer enjoyable, you know? Like the mindset I came in with, I expect to have more empowering tones or more feminist views or, you know, Mm -hmm. to, you know, not be so blatant in its bullshit. I guess I've always thought of Wonder Woman as a horribly blatant character. Not, not just Wonder Woman, but like Wonder Woman and Superman as characters. I can't get them. I definitely understand that. And if, if you come in with that kind of viewpoint, then you're right. This is enjoyable. Okay. So truth, like I I pointed this out at the beginning, but like they cut that dude's head off a bit at the beginning of the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh shit, this is going to have violence. To me, that was a surprise. No, I get that. And I'm not saying that violence matters that much, but my preconceived notions were all that this was a Saturday morning cartoon level of wholesome. And and that I was going to just be struggling through the most like trite bullshit as she did. And you know, and, and honestly, I, I've never watched or read Wonder Woman outside of the Patty Jennings movie. Everything I'm basing this on is based on like the Linda Carter TV show. You know, <laughs> like right. For me, I was just expecting a wholesome, like, we're going to smile and be pretty, and there's going to be some gem in the hologram types, like, zazzle effects, yeah, and you, then, like, we're all going to go home. Yeah, I mean, you expected a Saturday morning cartoon and got a Adult Swim late night cartoon. Exactly. And for me, that was, like, enough of a breath of fresh air that it was exciting. And that's good. I mean, if that's the, if the mode you came in was Saturday morning cartoon and it, and it exited with, oh, I just watched, like, a late night feature on Adult Swim. I mean, that's definitely going to change your opinion. But I kind of understood where this is going. I mean, granted, the movies I mentioned don't have beheadings in them. They're mostly just superheroes fighting superheroes. Sure, yeah. I mean, for that reason, I do like this because they don't fuck around with that sort of shit. Mm. I mean, it's not gory. It's just beheadings, I guess. That's an oxymoron statement. There's there's not a lot of blood. Yeah. The beheadings, I was more excited that that... As soon as they do that, you feel like they're less limited in what they can do. Right. You know, and that was what was more exciting to me than the actual violent right. act itself. It, it poses the air of consequence, which is always fun to have in a movie to where you're guessing if people are going to survive or not. Exactly. Yeah. But I can't get past the flaws of the, the plot, you know, flaws of the universe that they're trying to explain the fucking plane. Like I can't get over the goddamn plane. But w- would you be able to get over that in any Wonder Woman? Because that's like that's like a staple, right? I think it used to be. I mean, I don't know much about her, but that that gels with my understanding of what Wonder Woman has at her disposal. Right. But that's like the only thing of modern technology she has. No, I, I agree with all of your comments about how ridiculous it is. But I'm just saying, like, that's one of those things that the character has in every iteration. It's not just this particular movie, right? No, it's it's every iteration aside from the the modern live action stuff. Right. The Patty Jenkins one. Yeah. That and all the other films that Wonder Woman has showed up in in the DCEU at this point. Okay, so they did the whole Ares story in this, which they also did in the Wonder Woman live action movie. Correct. So that was like, that was the part of the movie that I rejected personally, because like it, it just, it felt ill-fitting to the rest of the film. Well, I mean, the cartoon form, I think the story was better. It just wasn't told as well. If this was a three episode arc of X-Men, I would have thought this was fucking fantastic right it's like a tv movie kind of thing yeah exactly except for obviously 
<laughs> the, the numerous continuity problems that you pointed out, which I agreed with many of. In the beginning part, I think, is the other part that hurts the film. If this were an episodic series and this were just a three-episode arc, you can't have the beginning. The, the yeah. whole war and everything. It'd have to start after the war, which would leave this movie at, like, only... An hour? 60 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. And G.I. Joe did this... And Transformers did this back in the 80s with their cartoons, mm -hmm. 80s and 90s. I did not realize you were such a connoisseur of cartoons. We should do more. <laughs> I do my research, and I also watched a lot of them. Because there's like this weird like four or five episode G.I. Joe movie arc. Because you can tell because when they, you know, ported it out to movie form, mm -hmm. it has that weird pause. There's like the dip to black. Yeah. Know? It's a slight dip and then back up. I, I loved it when they came back to the same scene. Exactly. In the middle of a conversation, it was like, hold on. Okay, let's go. Or it was, hold on, hold on, and this. <laughs> right. Like they repeated it. Went back a second and a half. Yeah. If there were a Wonder Woman series, this would have fit well into it. Maybe even as a pilot. Yeah, I mean, I would watch that. So what are your feelings on this movie? Up, down, left, right, side to side, back to front? John gives this a big up. John likes three things. John likes scantily clad women, he likes progressive values, and he likes gargoyles. How do you feel about Pegasus? Or Pegasi? I guess they'd be pluralized with an eye. That's the winged unicorn, right? They weren't unicorns. I'm just going to go with winged horse. Well, if they don't have the horn, I feel better about them, because I feel like if you aim them wrong, they would be dangerous. <laughs> I, what, what I can say about Pegasus is that I miss TriStar Entertainment. All right. Don't we all? So, Jason, what do you think about this movie? I'm giving it a down. It's not strong down, but it's a definite not up. It's a down. I feel like we need some sort of sound effect or like musical sting or something because I want the audience to know this is the first split decision that CinemaSwap has had. Is it? Uh, well, it's at least the first one that you and I have had. I think we've had split decisions before, but I think we've convinced each other otherwise. <laughs> I think this is the first one we've been bold enough to tell each other you're wrong. As a podcast, we're coming to our own. So finish your down. Finish telling me what you what what makes you down this movie. It missed a lot of opportunities to explore the characters, and all they did is throw shit at you and and say, "Here you go, deal with it." I feel like there's no story to this aside from there's a war. Diana goes off. Man finds Diana. War restarts. Like there, aside from like the weird misogyny and dumb shit in between, there's nothing to this movie. And I kind of want. I want more from my action films anymore. This just doesn't please me. You and your bourgeoisie expectations. I need to be entertained, John. <laughs> I can't disagree with you. If you're not entertained, you're not entertained. Meanwhile, Desi and I were having a rollicking good time, so... Mm. It's definitely worth watching. I'm just saying I didn't like it. <laughs> Call that damning with faint praise. Look, I loved Rec for, Requiem for a Dream, but I'm never going to watch that film again. See, that's the difference between you and I. I will watch Requiem for a Dream at least once every five to ten years. <laughs> it needs a cooling off period. Transition. Transition. <laughs> My favorites in this, Nathan Fillion acted the part that he needed to act. I think Nathan Fillion has just sort of an enjoyable charm. He's He's got a swagger. He's got a lightness to his comedy. You know, it, all yeah. around, it's hard, it's hard to hate that guy. He's like Neil Patrick Harris. You can't fuck with the NPH. Well, he's like beefy Patrick Harris. <laughs> beefy Patrick Harris. I love it. Uh, I thought Carrie Russell was kind of a throwaway thing. Like, Remind me. Like, I know her name, but what else What else? She was she in before this? Do you watch The Americans or Heard of the Americans? I've seen billboards. All right. So she's in that, which just ended. Uh, but she was in Felicity, and she had a whole scandal around her because of her skinniness. 
Clearly, I did not comment on the thinness of her voice, so doesn't help. No, she's a fine voice actor. Uh, Alfred Molina, always love him. Oh, he's great. Yeah. But the real standout to me is Rosario Dawson. Artemis is sort of a badass contrarian. Yeah, she she hates rating, which I, I enjoy that about her. <laughs> and uh, she's a fighter, which I'm not. So I respect that about her. Nathan Fillion, the entire reason I don't want to pick him is because we came up with this stupid Kevin Bacon game thing to make us watch shit we haven't seen already. And I've seen a pretty good amount of Nathan Fillion stuff. Rosario, I love. I feel like I haven't seen a lot of her stuff. You've seen Sin City. I've seen Clerks too. Sin City, yeah. I'm thinking we pick Rosario Dawson. Now I'm going to throw a curveball here in the movie we pick because I know neither of us has seen this. I was going to say, as the research master, the person who actually opens web pages prior to recording, I'm excited to see what you've come up with. My pick for this is probably one of the most hated movies of our generation. <laughs> this is why I love you. You're a fucking glutton. And that is The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Oh, God. For a second, I thought you were going to say um, Pootie Tang. For a second, Pootie I thought you were going to say Pootie Tang. Oh, no. I mean, that that's hated, but no. <laughs> when you said the most hated, I was like, that's got to be Pootie Tang. I shouldn't say the most hated. It is the most underwatched movie of our generation. It was released to 200 million people or 300 million people and... 12 of them watched it. All right. Well, it sounds like this is a bad enough idea that I'm enthusiastic about it. It's going to be awful. I'm sorry. You mispronounced awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's going to be awesome. Uh, my drunk mind's given sober words. Or my sober mind's given drunk words. Who the fuck knows? Uh, it sounds like some Greek philosophy to me. Just don't recite that shit on the battlefield. That's it for this episode of Cinema Slop. You can swing by our website, cinemaslop.com, for show notes and other garbage. You can also check out some of John's doodles about the movies. They're really cool. And if you want to see us stuff grenades into the throats of mythical beasts, then check us out on social media. Yeah, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Facebook, all under Cinema Slop. Thanks for listening. We love you. The music for this episode was provided by Vandalay. You can find them on the Facebooks at Vandalay Music or VandalayMusic.com. That's V-A-N-D-A-L-A-Y Music.com. And if you want to hear assholes talk about different movies than the ones we talked about here, then go and check out our friends Mac and Peter at Super Movie Ball. Find them at SuperMovieBall.com and iTunes. And other podcast sources that I haven't bothered verifying for you yet. Still haven't had enough? Then check out Peter's Movie Nights on SoundCloud. That's Peter's M-O-V-Y N-I-T-E-S. Hey there, boys and ghouls. This is John popping in with just a quick notice to let you know that because of the extra busy Halloween season, Cinema Slop might be taking a week off. We reserve the right to do that. So keep an eye out for our next episode, but just uh, don't keep an eye out for it at the normal time. <laughs> I like how you've completely failed to embrace my we love you at the end of the episode. Do you have any idea why I do that? No. Uh, have you seen Idiocracy? Yeah. Welcome to Costco. We love you. <laughs> that makes more sense now. I like it.